0: If you like listening to my conversations with interesting people, you'll love listening to them or watching them on Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get access to these interviews early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes from my YouTube channel and exclusive series you can't find anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe to support the podcast and help promote content that matters.
1: Like this is where the Upterra started. We started with this little yeah. Play-Doh model and then we turned it into a NURBS model and then we actually sent that model to nasa langley because at the time they had the world's largest uh, computational fluid dynamics uh, virtual wind tunnel okay and we, we the first check we wrote was a seventeen thousand dollar check to nasa langley to get them to do the aerodynamic study on the vehicle wow. and uh, i remember we sent it off to them and we waited for like a week and then they sent us an email and they were like We seem to have some anomalous results. You know, we'd like to get on a conference call and talk to you about it. And uh, they they got us on the phone and they were like, this is the lowest aerodynamic drag shape we've seen on the road ever. So the anomaly
0: was that it was too good. In September, I flew out to San Diego for the fully charged live Show And uh, easily the biggest showstopper of the weekend was when Aptera revealed their newest design upgrade. They call it Gamma. Um, It was a huge deal. There were hundreds of people crowding around, getting it on on their cameras and stuff. I I pretty much stayed like that the whole weekend. Um, I was barely able to even get any video of it because it was just always a crowd around it. And in that crowd was CEO Chris Anthony. And um, I was hoping I would get a chance to talk to him, but he was just like being pulled in 50 directions all the time. It's kind of like going to a a friend's wedding. You know, you never really actually get to talk to them because they're all over the place. But anyway, at one point I was out to the side uh, talking to somebody and he actually took a minute and came over to me and and said some really nice things about the channel, which was really cool. I had no idea that he watched it, but uh, we only got to talk for just a minute before he got run off again. But it did give me enough time to get his contact info so i could set up this interview because i've been wanting to get him on this podcast for a long time um because aptera is is, it's such an interesting company their car when fully spec'd out assuming they can hit all their goals and everything it will get a thousand miles to a charge and it'll have solar panels it'll charge up to 40 uh 40 miles or so a day just sitting out in the sun so if you have an average daily commute and you live in a sunny area, you might never have to fuel your car again. It's, it's insane. Um, it's designed to be hyper-efficient and aerodynamic. In fact, the entire car has the same drag coefficient as the side mirror of a Ford F-150. The entire car, let me repeat that, has the same drag coefficient as the side mirror of a Ford F-150. That's how insane this car is. Um, it's a really weird looking car, as he says in the interview, they, they took inspiration from sharks from their design, which I found fascinating, but, um, but it was made starting with the principle of making the most efficient car ever made. And that's the design that works for that. So, anyway, obviously we'll go into detail on all, all that in this conversation, but those are just a few of the reasons why I think this car is really cool and I really want to see them as succeed. But anyway, I want to thank Chris for taking the time to do this and, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's get to it. So here's my conversation with Chris Anthony. Enjoy. How are you holding up? I can imagine you're under a lot of stress these days.
1: Yeah, it's um, startups are an interesting journey. um, No matter what, I Mm -hmm. think the uh, the biggest skill in a startup uh, is being nimble and flexible, Um, you know, from uh, from design constraints to uh, to suppliers switching gears on you to uh, to funding uh, not uh, happening the way you want to. Mm -hmm. Uh, You just have to roll with the punches and figure out the most positive solution to a lot of these problems.
0: What's been the biggest headache so far? Uh, pandemic um, aside, I guess that this alone is.
1: You know, uh, most of them are pandemic related, unfortunately. Right. Uh, you would think, you know, uh, we're coming out of this, but the supply chain um, lingers, uh, you know, just being able to go and meet with some of our suppliers, especially in Asia, it's just impossible, we just can't do it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's starting to uh, to loosen up. And I think over the next six months, hopefully, we start to see a lot of uh, positive movement. But, uh, but yeah, everything has been a challenge uh, for the because, you know, you have to figure out um, how to how to meet with the vendor, how to inspire them that, hey, this is worth supporting. Mm-hmm. We're not building in kind of automotive volumes, you know, so 200,000, 400,000 vehicles a year. We have orders for, you know, 37,000 vehicles. I, I think that's a lot. You know, I just went through <laughs> to the Padres game to see them play in the NLCS. And there was 38,000 people in the stadium. And I was like, holy shit, like this is how many people yeah. have ordered the Aptera. You know, this is quite a daunting task to, uh, uh, to fulfill these. But you know, when you go to the automotive supply chain for some of these parts, they're like, Yeah, yeah, 40,000? yeah. So, you know, we're kind of playing in this lower tier. Uh, and I think we've been really good to find a lot of European suppliers uh, that play in our volume. Uh, okay. Regime, so I think it's been really great the last kind of six to nine months that we've started to to unfurl some people that, that they're willing to play in the ten to you know fifty thousand unit range, and it's uh, it's been a, it's been a real blessing to us to uh, to see those things come together. And yeah. now we're close to a, a final Eptera production vehicle design. We're hoping to tidy that up by the oh. end of the year, and then it's basically just. How do we fund the tooling and equipment? This beautiful plant behind me to start building uh, the Aptera in 2023.
0: So, uh, God I have so many questions about just like the process of of stamping these things out. I mean, mm-hmm. I've I've only done like I've only dabbled a bit in, in you know like startups and 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 um, I have a vitamin supplement company that I do on the side, and that's literally just like I order from a lab and they ship it over. But even that has had its own headaches. And it's just like the simplest thing in the world. And like, I can't imagine what it's like dealing with all the parts that are involved in a car and all the vendors that are involved in making those parts and then getting in the same place and then assembling, you know, a process to put it all together. Um, was there anything in your in your past that like prepared you for this or is it just, you're just figuring it out as you go?
1: Yeah, do you, you have know, people
0: I, in place that have done it before and are like consulting and that kind of thing?
1: Definitely the people in place uh, have yeah. done a lot. Um, you know Sandy Monroe in particular. yeah, but um, but I uh, I have a you know a weird uh, kind of evolution as an entrepreneur. Uh, I mean my first real company was in college. I was buying um, uh, liquidated computer parts off of eBay, the early eBay. I had a four digit password uh, to eBay. <laughs> uh, was so impressed I was so sad when I had to change that password. Yeah. Um, but i was I was buying computer parts and then I would you know um, build them into computers and I put a little ad in the paper for a $599 computer and, you know, all all of a sudden I was selling hundreds and hundreds of computers at a time. So I was hiring college kids and developing, you know, the processes to, you know, take motherboards and put the memory on and, you know, all the old, (laughs) how old computers were built. Um, Roughly what year was this? uh, That was uh, 99, 98. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh you know eventually, we became a, a Tiger Direct and Dell reseller because they were just building it cheaper than I could buy the parts for, mm. uh, but in the beginning, you know it's uh it's you know twenty ish parts uh, to build a computer, so you know when you have an assembly line and you 're trying to build hundreds of them you got five or six kids on an assembly line and they're all just taking these parts and putting it together. And then, you know, I evolved out of that into kind of the money game. Um, so I was doing, um, you know, IPO work and direct public offerings and, um, you know, running people's money uh, for a while, moved out to California, sold that, sold the computer business, moved out to California. Um, so I think, uh, you know, having kind of the early manufacturing knowledge, um, kind of building stuff, knowledge, and then trying to get into the, the money side knowledge really helped me launch some of my other companies, Epic Boats, uh, building wakeboard boats and then uh, fishing boats. Which, which probably in your area of Dallas, uh, there's probably a lot of Epic center console fishing boats rolling around the lakes of uh, Dallas in <laughs> um, Texas. We are the number one center console brand in Texas for a long time. Oh, cool. um, but uh, you know, there was kind of 1,500 parts in the bill of materials for a boat. You'd be surprised. Oh, okay. <laughs> complex some boats are you know sure. 80,000 dollars you know $120,000 boats uh, for the Uptera, you know it's a 700 part bill of material but uh, with Sandy Monroe's help, you know, we've kind of condensed everything into sub-assemblies and there's really only six sub-assemblies that build the whole Aptera. So there's a, there's a battery pack is kind of the base unit of the vehicle because it's the heaviest thing. You got a front suspension, a rear suspension, you got a body structure, you got an interior, you got closures on top of that. And then we add the solar um, as kind of an after effect. Mm-hmm. But because everything's built in these sub-assemblies, we can go to people and get, you know, the 150 parts that are in the front suspension sub-assembly and get Built all by one contract manufacturer and just shipped to us. Uh, so for us, you know, um, Sandy Monroe, Monroe and Associates, he's in Detroit, lean manufacturing expert, does all the teardowns of, uh, yeah. of popular electric vehicles. But, you know, they've helped companies um, like Sears Aircraft, you know, go from building, um, you know, just just a couple uh, business jets a week to building uh, several business jets a day, um, you know, to help companies like Dodge, you know, get their Ram pickup truck to be number one in quality. Uh, They work with Maytag and NASA and Club Car and all all sorts Mm -hmm. of brands to just, you know, really focus on lean manufacturing. And we went to him very early on in our evolution, and said, "Sandy, we don't want to make a really cool product and then get a bunch of orders and then try to put it into manufacture and then figure out how to, un- the manufacturing of this vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you have to keep out bad words. Yeah, we may
0: play blood. It's fine.
1: But, <laughs> but um, you know, once you, I've done it with with several companies. My my lithium battery company, we had an amazing product. We had tons and tons of orders, uh, but then we put it into manufacturing and We're like, gosh, we're really." really not making as much money as we could on these battery packs because you know we don't have a focus on lean manufacturing and design for manufacturability so we kind of after we were in production for a year and a half two years went back and hired a company like sandy monroe's company to help us design for manufacturability and put in you know the the digital um you know systems data-driven manufacturing environment to control the design process roll into product life management roll into uh, enterprise resource planning roll into a manufacturing execution system all these digital tools that you need in manufacturing now which are really complex really talented people to run them Uh, but you know sandy said start with that you know don't don't make a product that has 700 parts that you have to have each part on the line and then put each part in the vehicle design it in subsystems, design it with as few parts as possible, Uh, design it to be uh, super modular and easy to put together, and then your digital systems that manage that just become so much easier. Mm. So I think um, we're really an interesting case study for young companies where we've adopted all of these pretty expensive digital tools before we've even started manufacture. So we're virtually building Apteras in the computer and using all of our data-driven manufacturing tools to fully build out the vehicle pull parts out of inventory, have it to the line, scan it on the line, you know, um, record the value of the torque of the screw that you put in, uh, save the serial number from the tires that you put on the vehicle. Um, You know, all those things already exist in our systems. And I would have loved to have had that in my other companies. uh, But, you know, I just didn't have the advice of somebody like Sandy Monroe. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been interesting, um, you know, kind of putting all these brilliant tools together early on in our existence versus figuring out later like, Oh, we, we forgot this or, Oh, this costs twice as much as, you know, we thought it would, or, Oh, you know, it takes five minutes to put on this part instead of the two minutes that we thought. Um, so it's a lot of moving pieces for sure. Mm. Um, and it's a whole, you know, Manufacturing science is like a whole segment in itself. Yeah, uh, you know how cool that stuff is. As as Elon Musk would say, you know, uh, manufacturing hell, um, and it's it's true for, for for a lot of things if you aren't well prepared for it. But we yeah. think we're we're better prepared than most. Hopefully,
0: you gotta you gotta build the machine that builds the machine. I think is one of the yeah. things that he once said. Um, i apologize if there's a lot of noise my dogs have decided that this is the perfect time to have a battle royale in the house and they're running back and forth um they're just
1: excited about solar mobility (laughs) (laughs)
0: like this thing gets a thousand miles um this might not be something you can answer but you know you got sandy on your team and everything and he seems to be super pumped about it I was there fully charged it was a friggin madhouse around your car i mean we barely got to speak for like th- three minutes before you got pulled away again but like there it is yeah what what is it again maybe you're too close and can't even answer this but what is it about this car and this company and this design and philosophy that gets everybody so excited because i will even confess that like okay when the Cybertruck was first unveiled um I was still doing our ludicrous future at the time. And I think we were talking about it and, um, the, the subject came up. It's like, yeah, it's cool. But like some people don't want to be stared at everywhere they go, (laughs) you know? And I would say the same is true for the Aptera. I mean, people are going to stare at you in this car, but for some reason I'm super interested in the Aptera and not so much for the Cybertruck. Granted, I couldn't fit a Cybertruck in my garage, but still, um, Like, I, I'm super pumped about this and, and like, at like Fully Charged, everybody was all about it and Sandy's all, all up about it and everything. So it's like, do you know what it is about this whole thing that gets people so interested?
1: You know, I, I think it's a lot of different factors. Um, you know, I think, one, we have a unique ethos. Um, any other product that you can think of uh, probably started out with a minimum viable product analysis. Right. Right you know, what What? What do we need to make our thing to be, to be accepted by the market? Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially in transportation, you know, it needs to be a crossover SUV, it needs to cost, you know, uh, 48,005, it needs to have, you know, five seats and eight cup holders and all these things and they benchmark against everybody else in the industry. Um, we did not start there. <laughs> uh, we, we with- you
0: don't wind up with a car like that by starting there, no.
1: We we started with um, where does the energy go in transportation? Yeah, and if you want efficient transportation, what are the first principles engineering uh, that you have to put forth to make that happen? Um, and it all starts with aerodynamics. You know, uh, most sedans or SUVs burn over sixty percent of their fuel at highway speeds, just pushing air out of the way.
0: Yeah,
1: but if you can make your vehicle aerodynamic, you instantly you know almost double the fuel economy. Okay, what's the next biggest loss? Weight. Um, It takes a lot of energy to deform a tire in every rotation in a big, heavy vehicle. So make the vehicle lightweight, even better fuel economy. Oh, what what about the drivetrain? Well, you know, there's there's you only get 25 to 27 percent of the energy out of gasoline that you burn. The the rest of the energy is wasted in heat and blow by. Get very little of the energy to the actual wheel, and even in electric drivetrains, you know some are only you know sending 80% of the power to the wheels. You know we're we're, we're much higher than that because we have these in-wheel motors and a, a trick silicon carbide in, um, inverter and, and all these things. But we send more power from the wall to your wheels. You put all that together and you get an equation that's like 350 miles per gallon equivalent. Um, you know people hear that number and they're like, ah, you know you would think like what's the most efficient you know vehicle out there? Ah, oh, it's like. 70 miles per gallon maybe 80 yeah. miles per gallon if you got 100 miles per gallon like holy shit man that's yeah that's yeah. super efficient 350 miles per gallon like you know it's it's a totally different thing so i think you know because we started from such kind of a pure place and we didn't know that it would work by the way <laughs> we <laughs> didn't know that people would give a shit uh. about it uh, we had hoped that people would and we had early conversations about you know uh, well, maybe we need to benchmark the Tesla, and maybe we need to benchmark mm-hmm. the Nissan, and you know, all these things. Like, I was like, no, <laughs> no, we do not. We need to put out the most efficient transportation device ever, and I think people will love it. And within the first two weeks of us putting it out, we had like four thousand orders. And you know, it's kind of like, okay, a thousand orders, we can make a company out of that. Four thousand orders, now you get some economies of scale. Twenty thousand orders, all right, you know, now this is now this is big time. Panic and now. <laughs> Um, so I think, you know, we, we, we came at it from a very pure perspective. And I mm. think you can tell, um, you know, we, we, don't, um, we don't pander or craft a marketing message to people. We just tell our story. Um, you know, we, we, we have a communications team, not a marketing team, and we, we, we like to talk about the cool things we're doing, but it's not, um, it's not like market segmented where, you know, we held a focus group and we're like, oh, we have to say these words to inspire these people to buy our vehicle. Um, that's just not us. Um, you know, the Aptera is a very cool thing for many, many people. And just as many people hate it, (laughs) (laughs) we think that's a good thing. Um, You know, we think that, you know, there's some people that will just, they see three wheels and they're like, nope, not me. (laughs) Looks like a spaceship. Nope, I'm out. Um, But there's other people that, you know, maybe they're pilots or engineers and they go, yes, aerodynamics. I get it. Totally Mm -hmm. get it. Um, bleeding edge engineering to make things lightweight, you know, um, you know, generative artificial intelligent design to lower the weight of your metal parts. Like I'm, I'm all in. Uh, There's other people that, uh, you know, are on the environmental side and they say, the least impact to the environment you use a quarter of the materials in this vehicle oh, to yeah. make the device in the first place so a quarter of the cobalt a quarter of the aluminum, a quarter of the rare earth materials the drivetrain is a quarter of the size you know all these things so I, I start out at a much better point for the environment and I'm getting 350 miles per gallon equivalent so I'm doing good for the environment on the other side. Add in solar and you have a zero fuel cost transportation device it charges back 40 miles a day so if you're paying five six thousand a year in fuel cost, and you can get something that is free. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's a compelling economic case. So I think there's there's people on the environmental side. Then there's the the people that just want to be unique. And it's probably our biggest customer segment. You know of people that have ordered, oh, okay. asked questions. They just love that it is so different than anything else out there. It's not an SUV. It's Some people do want up. to be stared at. <laughs> Some people. Do well, not so much that, but they. You know, it's like. Uh, it's like the limited edition iPhone, you know. Oh, it's yeah, it's yeah. red, it's cool. It's like you know they they don't want the thing that everybody else has, and the Aptera is the thing that nobody else has. Mm-hmm. If, you know, the first ten thousand people that drive this thing home will be the most unique thing in their neighborhood. You know,
0: <laughs> As always, this episode is supported by Curiosity Stream. So we're talking about designing an electric car in this episode, electrifying the world to get off fossil fuels and all that. Well, maybe you want to know more about this whole electricity thing that maybe you've heard of it electricity but if you do want to hear more about the story of electricity in our modern world you might want to check out juice how electricity explains the world right there on Curiosity stream of course it's just one of thousands of documentary titles from award-winning filmmakers from all around the world on subjects as wide-ranging as astronomy history space travel art food the list keeps going as well as Curiosity stream original series from the likes of Nick house and other science communicators it's it, it's just the best streaming platform. Uh, for documentaries on the planet let's just put it that way and even better is that when you sign up at curiositystream.com slash joe scott pod you'll get access to nebula that's a streaming service i'm a part of as well as many of your other favorite science youtubers it's it's pretty much just a curated service that streams all your favorite youtubers ad free Uh, and you can also see things earlier than everybody else so uh you wouldn't be hearing this ad if i was if you're watching it on on nebula this ad i'm doing right now it'd be out so yeah. it's also got original series that you can't find anywhere else like my mysteries of the human bodies series and my forgotten Atrocities series plus they just added nebula classes so there's, there's always something new going on there it's a great little service and i'm proud to be a part of it so yeah again if you want to get both streaming services you can go to curiositystream.com slash joe scott pod you'll get them both for 26 percent off making a grand total of 1479 for an entire year for two streaming services I mean, literally with just that, you'll never run out of interesting stuff to watch. So one more time, go check it out. It's curiositystream.com slash Joe Scott pod. And thanks to Curiosity Stream for supporting this episode. Now back to Matt.
1: Like yeah. when they go to the Starbucks, when they go to get like, there's just nothing else like it. And I think that the uniqueness of the Aptera um, is something that, that draws in, you know, a lot of our fans too. So I would say those are the, yeah. the, the Biggest kind of categories, you know, they would love the bleeding edge science. They love that it, you know, has environmental purity and environmental benefits, um, or they just want to be terribly unique and this, yeah. this, is that.
0: Yeah, I saw somebody. Um, I think there's a couple of uh, YouTube channels that are like Aptera Motors Owners Club or something like that. But
1: YouTube channels covering Aptera now. Yeah, full YouTube <laughs>
0: and... channels, absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, I think it was on one of those, but he was talking about why it's a great. Carl uh, hello it's a great car for rural people and living in Texas that's one of the draws that I have toward it because my parents live out in West Texas and um, it's kind of funny because like my mom lives further away but she's closer to a highway where I can charge along the way with my my Model 3 Uh, my dad isn't as far away but there's just no charging stations anywhere near him so Mm. getting out there and back can be a bit hairy sometimes even in the long range model three. So, um, the, the, I, I, I was already kind of thinking that before I saw that video, but I was like, I think that might be a good market for it It's people who want to go electric, but they just live in a place where it's kind of a charging desert, you know, and there's not really any place to, to charge up their Rivian or something like that, you know? And, and, and also the, the price point is a lot more reasonable than a lot of the, the, the really long range, um, uh, EVs right now, so I could see it being popular in, in places like that. And I, I was curious if you heard anything else, like any any feedback from people in areas like that.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are driven to the idea and kind of the culmination of everything we do because it really offers freedom. You know, if mm-hmm. if you can go six hundred, a thousand miles on a charge it, it changes the way you think about electric transportation. You know, it's just not as limiting as some of the other electric vehicles out there. Um, When you can, you know, uh, go 200 miles to your favorite camping site and you can camp for a week and you can actually come home with more energy in your vehicle than you left with. um, It kind of changes your perception about how, you know, transportation works for you. This this is really the first vehicle that creates its own fuel. Um, So, you know, Not just for uh, kind of range limitations, but also how your energy goes into getting you around is really changed by, you know, how this vehicle works and functions. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people that are, um, you know, remote or uh, want to be more independent uh, really see the benefits of a vehicle that with a 110 extension cord can charge 150 miles overnight because it charges so fast because it uses such a little energy per mile mm-hmm. um so you don't have to worry about you know going to grandma's house I, I went to grandma's house i stayed three days she lives 500 miles away she doesn't have a charger or any bullshit like that she has an extension cord i <laughs> let it charge while I was there and i got 600 miles to drive back home like you know that that really changes kind of you know the the, the flexibility uh, of your transportation um, and to have it all come with zero fuel cost mm-hmm. uh, compared to combustion engines is just an, an amazing, uh, amazing attribute. So uh, we hope that a lot of people, you know, we know that a lot of people that have orders for the Aptera also have orders for Cybertrucks and, you know, Model 3s and, and other things in their garage. Uh, but we hope that, you know, we're, we're, we're a real solution for them to, you know, take those trips uh, in a more um, energy conscious way and more environmentally friendly way mm-hmm. um, and a way that, you know, doesn't restrict them as much give them more freedom uh in their transportation uh, and the options for it so
0: yeah i i had a question when i was um when i was looking at it and uh i hope you don't mind me asking cuz it's uh uh well <laughs> the the, <laughs> the engines are in the wheel or the motors in the wheel right yeah okay so if somebody hits a curb too hard or it, you know has a has a little accident um where do you get that service? Is, is that is that part of like your building out? Is, is finding service stations and or creating customer yeah, service you know, uh, the, and stuff? The,
1: animal motors are are unique. Um, you know, it does add a little extra weight to your wheel. Um sure. but the wheel is separate. So that the wheel and tire are separate, just like they are in any other vehicle. So you, mm-hmm. you unbolt them, you take it off, um, you can have your tire rotated or changed, you can go to discount tire and they can put a new tire on it type thing. Um so it's not limiting in the fact of like like servicing it or, or how it works. Um you know, we have done a lot of testing like curb strike testing and pothole testing and stuff like that. And the motor itself is very, very robust. Mm. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's as robust as the suspension components on kind of any other vehicle. So, you know, if you uh, if you hit, you know, a, a six inch pothole at, at 40 miles an hour in your BMW, you, you may expect some, some damage. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of similar to this. There, there are instances where, Hey, you're going to damage stuff. Uh, but we think that other suspension components in our vehicle, you know, are going to fail before, mm. uh, we have, uh, we have a problem with, um, a problem with the wheel motor itself or anything.
0: Yeah. Does it have the ability to kind of go up and down a little bit for, for rougher terrain? I noticed that there's, there's one part of it that's pretty, pretty low to the ground.
1: We uh, we have an off-road package, which raises the wheel pants to give the wheels a little okay. more egress, um, also kicks up the, uh, the rear a little, um, but uh, we're, we, it's kind of low on the engineering priorities. Uh, so yeah. we haven't put a, yeah. a lot of effort into it. We're, we're concentrating on just get the production vehicle uh, done and ready and, and, and get, uh-huh. it into, get it into production as quick as possible.
0: I'm curious when you were talking about that you had a, a boat company, um, did your experience with hydro dynamics help with the aerodynamics of the car?
1: Yeah, you know, when, when I first started- <laughs> That makes now, sense. So, it, it does make sense. Um, you know, I, I had a friend that had an inboard outboard boat and we started wakeboarding here in Mission Bay. I just thought it was an awesome thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh shit, you jump off the wake in the back and do tricks in the air. Like, oh man, this is really cool. Yeah. And I started to get a little good at it and uh, I felt good enough to go to a competition um and i went to a competition out uh, out in the desert um on the colorado river um and we we went behind a ski boat that was like weighed down to be a, to be more of a wakeboard boat and the wake was you know i was doing tricks that i could have never dreamed of on this other boat and the wake was so crisp and clean and you know i felt like i was you know michael jordan of a wakeboarding you know i was just you know flying through the air and i was like what what is so different about this ski boat that was weighed down versus my friend's inboard outboard boat. Uh-huh. Um, and it really was the whole design. Um, so I started, you know, looking at different hole designs. Why is a Malibu better than a Mastercraft or better than a centurion or all these boats? So I basically went out and I, I measured (laughs) all the boat holes out there. And uh, back in those days, this was 2001-ish. Back in those days, you know, uh, they didn't really have computational fluid dynamics the way they have today. It was panel code. So you'd kind of take like a a 2D section through any uh, fluid moving. And it was kind of akin to the very early finite element analysis. Uh, But I was doing very early panel code with the freeware you could get on the internet uh, to characterize these wakeboard boats. And I was getting on forums and I was like, you know, I think if you change the hole like this, you could actually play with Bernoulli's principles of fluid pressure, the, the faster the fluid moves, the lower the pressure. And you could actually suck a boat down into the water and it would actually throw a really big wake. And I got on these forums and there was these international sailboat guys and they're like, oh, that's a quick way to have your boat at the bottom of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was about to say, like,
0: how far down does it go? <laughs>
1: And I would, I would like post pictures of the, of the fluid dynamics I was doing. I was like, no, no, it's only like, you know, 1800 pounds of downforce. And, you know, like, I think this could work. And there was just, you know, the internet was not kind to my early boating (laughs) design aspirations. They were just crucified me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I didn't listen. The internet? I said, I think this worked. So I took that early panel code and I made my first epic boat. And it really was an exercise in better computational fluid dynamics and the understanding of how boat holes interact with the water and how big the wave can be out the back. So you Mm -hmm. can wakeboard better. And we made, you know, a a really cool wakeboard boat and I, I made one and I took it out and I had some pro wakeboarder friends and they were like, Holy shit. Like this thing is, you know, this is the best boat we've ever ridden on, like by a mile, like you need to start a company around this. So then I, I did start a company around that and it was really through Epic Uh, When I started uh, playing with the composites, I I got into resin infusing resin infused composites, which makes really lightweight composite structures really strong. Mm. Uh, Then I met Steve Fambro uh, in San Diego here through a mutual friend. Uh, Steve was starting to ideate Aptera and he was trying to build it out of faceted uh, panel composites and like, uh, you know, glue them together, like in a very Mm. angular format. And then he's going to put like an aerodynamic shell over it. Um, And then uh, he was ordering parts to his work because back then UPS wouldn't deliver to your house. Uh, That's how old we are. (laughs) Um, but he was having those composite things delivered to work and his work friend knew me and he, she was like, Oh, you know, you have to meet this boat guy. He's doing really cool composite stuff and you're doing stuff in the car. So that's how Steve and I met okay. was uh, through the composites that I developed for the boat. And I told Steve, I was like, no, no, you don't want to do this faceted a panel thing. You want to build it uh, like a monocoque structure, like a formula one car or a Sears aircraft. You want to, you know, you want to cocoon around the passengers mm-hmm. and then you want that to carry all the loads from the suspension and all that stuff. Um, and he said, You're right. And then we kind of held hands and and started. And he hadn't really conceived of computational fluid dynamics when I met him. So the first thing we did was we made a NURBS model of the Aptera shape. Uh, And I remember uh, we hired a guy to do it and to inform him on how we thought the shape should be. We made a little Play-Doh model. And we put it on a cake turner and we took pictures of it turning around <laughs> <laughs> and it was this little shit third of a, a red clay, you know, Play-Doh model that I still have pictures of. I was like, this is where the Aptera started. We started with this little yeah. Play-Doh model and then we turned it into a NURBS model and then we actually sent that model to NASA Langley, because at the time they had the world's largest uh, computational fluid dynamics, uh, virtual wind tunnel. Okay. And we, we, the first check we wrote was a $17,000 check to NASA Langley to get them to do the aerodynamic study on the vehicle. Wow. And uh, I remember we sent it off to them and we waited for like a week. And then they sent us an email and they were like, we seem to have some anomalous results. You know, we'd like to get on a conference call and talk to you about it. And, uh, they, they got us on the phone and they were like, This is the lowest aerodynamic drag shape we've seen on the road ever. So the anomaly
0: was that it was too good.
1: The anomaly was that it was too good, and then, then we had to explain to the NASA engineers, you know, what ground effect was and what we were doing to actually defeat that, um, and kind of light bulbs went off. You know, they were used to designing missiles and, and airplanes and stuff that were high in the air, mm. but when you get close to the ground, the problem is you always have this high-pressure zone in front of whatever you're pushing on the ground. you got to figure out what to do with that high-pressure zone. So we figured out that, you know, just like my boat, uh, if you can speed up the air to the rear of the vehicle, that's why the Eptera has kind of a hump in its back. Uh-huh. Is we actually pull the air from the front of the vehicle to the back of the vehicle. And we, we, we speed up the air, we lower the pressure. So it's like a vacuum to the back of the vehicle. And we actually suck the high pressure zone out of the front of the vehicle. And it makes for a very, very smooth aerodynamic profile. We found out years later that actually sharks, when they swim close to the seafloor, they actually put a hump in their back because water's a thousand times more viscous than air. So Uh fish find out very quickly how hard it is to swim close to the seafloor. So they put a hump in their back, you know, millions of years ago Uh uh, and learned this lesson. But it it was really interesting to have six NASA engineers on the phone. I can't imagine how much that we, we got our money's worth. We got our seventeen thousand dollars worth uh, because these guys we pontificated on the phone, you know, for for ninety minutes with them, and they were just scratching their heads. And they were like, you know, I guess the results are right. So you guys have the most aerodynamic thing we've ever seen. Wow, that's crazy. So got, and that's that's what kind of got the company funded was you know we have we have this report from NASA that says this is the most aerodynamic thing ever. Uh, and then we went out and raised uh, some money to. It's a to good
0: sales that. pitch for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> NASA thought their stuff was broken this was so good um it's it's only been in the most recent part of my life that i started to kind of somewhat understand aerodynamics and especially like flight and stuff like that um the idea of drag i never understood drag because i was like i was like okay so it creates a vacuum and that pull like why would a vacuum pull there's nothing there <laughs> i I wasn't a I, even though i'm a science communicator now i was not a science major or anything like that but um I, I had to kind of I had to frame flight like an airplane as if it was like a hydrofoil in water. Like mm-hmm. I had to think of air as water basically. It's just like mini water. <laughs> it's it's light water. Um, and
1: then in in the particle dynamics it's just a thousand times more particles in water than air. So they yeah. they both act the same yeah. except water reacts a thousand times quicker because there's so many more molecules packed, uh, together to, to, to act on a surface. So the skin drag and laminar flow and stuff is, it's just so much more important in hydrodynamics than aerodynamics, but it's still uh, you know, as I said, 60% of your fuel at highway speeds is just pushing air out of the way in a typical vehicle. So, um, you know, it's, it's important when you start to travel really fast, um, those molecules of air hitting your vehicle, slows it down and it takes energy to move them out of the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you heard about this? I, I did a video about it a while back. But it's been probably at least a year. It was the the Solera Five Hundred L, I think, is what it was called. It's a a plane that that uses laminar flow. It like has a tapered end, or it's kind of weirdly it's a weirdly shaped plane, but it, it uses laminar flow to get more efficiency and stuff.
1: Um, Yeah, a a lot of planes, um, you know, you'll, uh, the the Pilates jet, and, you know, there's lots of kind of planes that that use these uh, principles because it takes so much energy to push an airplane. I mean, you're you're having to lift the whole time, uh, especially on takeoff. So the more you can do aerodynamically to to get the plane in the air and obviously in steady state, you know, uh, 200 knots or whatever you're flying at, uh, it's crucially important if you want to cut. uh, I don't know if you remember, um, you know, 12 years ago 15 years ago uh no planes had winglets at the end so you took a southwest flight or whatever flight and you look out on the wing and the wing is just straight just yeah straight uh now everybody has these winglets that kick up on the end of the um, and they found that you know you get like six percent better fuel economy if you can stop the air just spilling off the end of the wings Oh, okay. you know one one you know company found this and they were like oh shit you know six percent better fuel economy so now all the planes that you fly on have these winglets Hmm. at the end kind of kick up and and stop uh stop the stop the air jetting off the end of the wings
0: so in the back of the aptera it's horizontal why not vertical Why 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 does horizontal serve a better purpose than vertical
1: um, well, you know, really what you want to I'm do asking is you really to
0: dumb get, questions <laughs>
1: you're, 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 you're over. So, so, you know, when in an airplane wing, you want it to be kind of neutral until you do something to, to, to change that. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, extend the running profile so you can speed up air on one surface and create lift lift or drag um you know with ours we want it to be kind of neutral so we want the air to come to come back to a neutral and if we were in free space if we were up in the air it would just be a very smooth very symmetrical profile top to bottom it'd be fat and then go to skinny and you'd want it to trail off as, as long as you could you know yeah 100 feet if you could um but if uh if uh you're close to the ground it really changes you know how the the pressures affect you because of that high pressure in the front so instead of us being a nice symmetrical it, it's it kind of it's angled up and it's fatter in the front and then kind of has a hump in the back and then goes to the tail so gotcha. it's a it's a it's a different profile than like a, a wing or a, a NACA foil um NACA was a, a predecessor to nasa yeah and, did a lot of work in just, you know, what is aerodynamics and all the, that's why they call them a NACA duct on race cars where you suck in air, mm-hmm. um, those things that was designed by NACA before NASA exist, mm-hmm. um, existed. Um, but yeah, we would, we would be a symmetrical, smooth uh, foil if we were up in the air, but because we're close to the ground, we, we look a lot different. And uh, really, if you kick the tail up too much, you create downforce uh, because you've got lots of pressure coming on the tail. If you have it down too much, you create lift that's, that's the what a
0: spoiler off. is, basically.
1: Yeah. So Keeps so it... we, we try to be as neutral as possible. We don't want any lift or any downforce. Mm-hmm. There's a little little bit of downforce on the Aptera, just intrinsic to any kind of yeah. uh, vehicle traveling uh, on the ground. But we try to keep it as, as neutral as possible. So we actually... in. Two versions ago, uh, in the Alpha version of the Aptera, there's four different versions now, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta. We're finishing up our Delta design now, which is pre-production. But the Alpha version actually had a tail that was kind of six inches thick in the back. And we actually stretched the tail of the vehicle another four inches and slimmed it down to only a four-inch profile at the tail ends. And that actually increased our aerodynamics by like 3%. Just by making the change in the tail, so mm-hmm. uh, how how things kind of trail off when it comes to aerodynamics is super super important. It's really
0: interesting. And 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 is my thinking on that right? That like when you have a more blunt end, it creates a vacuum behind it, and that's what drag is.
1: Well, there's there's two things. Uh, one is the, the force of the molecules hitting the thing. <laughs> uh, uh, but, the, but the second is the trailing effect uh, because you have such a blunt object. Yeah, you're you're, you're creating kind of a vacuum that can't can't escape itself um, okay. so you know that's why you end up with shit on the back of your SUV all the time you know you get this recirculating zone on the back of your SUV why is the back of my truck always dirty that's well, because it's a you know it's a low pressure zone that's creating a vacuum that, that sucks yeah. all the dirt back to your vehicle um, and you know but it, it's more it's more the molecules hitting the front of the pad so if you're driving a brick down the freeway it's really it's really everything that's hitting yeah. the front uh, of the vehicle if you if you have a really blunt face but you can taper it off at the back really smoothly that, that would help, uh, because then you don't have this recirculation zone in the yeah. back. Uh, but you know, in, in general, it's 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 mostly the, the punching power <laughs> going yeah. through. the
0: that's where all the grasshoppers and bugs end up and stuff.
1: Oh, interesting note about the Aptera. We uh, I remember uh, years ago, and we just took the, the Aptera out to the test track. But the Aptera, because it has such great laminar flow, uh, bugs just go on a little roller coaster ride over the Aptera. It's, oh, whoop. nice. Um, the, uh, the trailing, uh, SUV that we had to like, you know, watch the Aptera while it's doing the test, just covered in bugs, <laughs> bug storm, bug hysteria. And then we, we pull over the Aptera after, you know, like two days of testing and there's like two bugs on the very tip of the nose that have, that have been squished, but everything else, it just, whoop, just flies over. So it's, uh, it's interesting. You don't get dirty windshields. You don't get yeah. bugs.
0: Another reason somebody from Texas would want an Aptera because like on a, on a road trip out here, it's just, you're covered you got to take it to the car wash and scrap the bug guts off the yeah it's terrible every time you fill up your car with gas you gotta like scrape all the grasshopper brains oh, off of your windshield
1: you can so, just form the cricket bars you know you can, yeah
0: <laughs> yeah have you had any of those
1: yeah it's uh it's interesting what's going on in the world of, uh, of eco foods yeah uh, it's a shame you know that that uh so much of our food takes so much so many resources to yeah. grow i mean look at beef. I mean, beef takes so much water. You know, beef is just, cows are a horrible converter of biomass into the meat that you eat. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, You know, you go down the scale from, from cows to pigs, to chicken, to fish. If you want the best converter of biomass, it's fish. You know, they they're very good at taking what the input and turning into the actual meat you eat. So Um, you know, it's, uh, (laughs) cricket bars are an interesting uh, side for sure.
0: I I tried one, one time early on in my channel. I was like, watch me eat a cricket bar. So I, (laughs) I did and it tasted fine. I mean, it's just powder, but, um, I think it maybe had figs in it or something. So like there were little fibrous looking things. And of course, in my mind, it was a cricket leg. (laughs) Like I'm like, Oh, I got cricket leg stuck in my teeth and stuff, but I'm sure it was fine. Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. It, it sounds weird, but like, I mean, it's, it's, it's protein, it's good protein. And it's like you just said, it's not like
1: yeah, a big problem for the planet, uh, of course, is, is people come up the income scale. They eat more protein mm-hmm. um, and the protein that we eat is just, uh, is just horrible <laughs> for the environment. Uh, you know, vegetables are one thing. Uh, but as soon as you go over to the, uh, to the beef side, to the, to the chicken side, to the pork side, uh, it's just a huge amount more environmental impact. And you see, mm-hmm. company uh, countries struggling with it, you know, especially in Asia. You know, hugely growing populations uh, eating a lot more protein now. How do you kind of create the feedstock uh, for those things in an environmentally friendly manner? Um, you know, there's been a lot of great progress on uh, on kind of the the simulated beef stuff, but all the reports I've read is that that's even worse for the environment because it takes. Oh, really? energy to make the oh. things that it takes to make fake meat than it does to, to actually just have the meat. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we hope that through science, we'll solve these problems. And just like, uh, you know, efficiency and transportation, you know, we're working with bleeding edge science to solve that problem. And I'm sure we'll come up with solutions for, for the, for protein, for the masses
0: eventually. Yeah. Didn't expect this conversation to go there, but that's cool. Um,
1: <laughs> are, are, are you
0: a vegetarian or a, a vegan or anything like that?
1: Uh, I'm not, um, you know. My my wife and I watched a um, a documentary on factory farming years ago, um, and I don't know if you know how cute baby cows are, but they're cute. Yes. yes. <laughs> so when you get farming on a on a massive scale, you know, 200,000 cows on a farm, a lot of cows die a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, after my wife saw the the, the stack of uh, little baby cows, um, you know, at the end of the day, one of those, she's like, "We're not eating beef anymore," and she's the one that buys <laughs> the food. So we didn't eat beef for a couple of years now. Now we've got, we've gone back. We have, uh, we have tacos once a week yeah. uh, with beef and then everything else is fish and fish and chicken. Uh,
0: but- I tend to stick with the fish and chicken. I, I we usually get salmon and I eat that. Um, I've kind of gotten to where it's not so much an environmental thing, but uh, I've been doing the intermittent fasting thing and I've, I've gotten to oh. where I usually only eat like one meal a day. Um, yeah. Eating
1: dinner is as uh, good. I've been doing that for, for a while. I was, uh, we uh, Steve and I did an interview on Jay Leno, uh, and we started the interview. He's like, "Hey, it looks like you haven't been missing any meals lately." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn it, <laughs> Jay Leno! Um, so, called
0: out by Jay Leno. And-
1: so, uh, so I was like, "I guess I'm getting too tubby to, uh, to 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 be like this anymore." So, just just for the camera, I, uh, yeah. I decided to come up. But yeah, a big part of it was just uh, stop eating so late. <laughs> and oh eat- yeah in the morning. So, you know, that was rough. So one meal a day, I think is, is a good policy. We, we are we are definitely not creatures that evolved to have three meals a day. Just not. A thing.
0: I've landed on that. I have a feeling that was marketing. I have a feeling somewhere along the way, some food company, some giant food conglomerate was like, eat three squares a day and that'll make you grow up big and strong and the bullies won't pick on you anymore. You know, and then we all just kind of like, okay. And, and, but I, I agree. I don't think we're actually designed for
1: that. It was the breakfast cartel. I think that, uh, it really and it worked.
0: Impressed. It worked it so possible. well. I love my breakfast. That's the one but thing you, about the you, intermittent you, fasting I don't like is I love my breakfast and I don't get to have it.
1: You, uh, I also uh, got on a kick for a while, but just uh, just allowing your digestive system like time to process uh, is a mm-hmm. good thing. I, I think um, you know a lot of people have trouble with that, but you know every once in a while take a couple days off of food. Uh, you know it takes about two days for you to flow everything through your gut, so yeah. you can take two days off couple times a year even um you know it really helps your gut health and i think a lot of people have problems with their gut health that they don't really realize um you know i uh i got in this molecule which may be interesting for for people to research but nmn uh nicotinamide mononucleotide um but it's uh it's it's a a precursor to oh yeah there we go like mines um but yeah, I, I, I found uh, reading research studies and, and stuff, it, it, it may be hard to argue that it really has longevity benefits, though I, I, I buy into the logic, but a lot of people reporting like gut health improvement because mm. basically it's your gut and just sits there. Um, so I think, you know, I've seen a, a lot of uh, great research on that being able to help your gut health. So intermittent fasting and, you know, maybe some uh, some molecules like NMN, I think uh, could do good for a lot a lot of people if, if, if they knew about it.
0: Yeah, and, and like, um... Usually whenever I bring it up, people are like, oh, my God, aren't you hungry all the time? And I'm kind of like, well, yeah, sometimes.
1: <laughs> it's okay to be hungry. It's okay. You, know?
0: you get over it. It goes away. And and um, is it is it the hormone ghrelin that your body produces that makes you feel hungry? It's like the, the, the more you go without, like, the more you kind of push through the hunger, your body kind of stops producing that ghrelin so much. So, like, after a couple of days, you're not, you're not really hungry anymore. It's just like. I, I found that you
1: know. I ate most of the time because other people were eating. Not because I wanted to. Eat. Yeah. The other people were eating. It's you know, okay, it's eating time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was hungry, isn't you know, was, uh, Okay. Uh, so I I was definitely notorious. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I got so big was because I worked so late. And mm. the easiest thing to kind of keep you going is that Dr Pepper. You you know in Texas. Oh my god! Yeah. Pepper, oh man, it'll it'll get, get you good. Uh, so. <laughs> but, I grew you know, up
0: I grew up drinking Dr Pepper and I cannot drink them anymore. I don't know when right. I got off that wagon, but now it's just like oh it's just too much it was like 23 flavors it's just too many flavors my mouth uh, can't take yeah, it when
1: people cry it for the first time uh, like, oh god what is what why do you drink this
0: i guess it I'm, does kind of like rope you in though like once you get used to the taste, tastes like this is the best thing ever and i think sugar in general does that but
1: uh tastes so good when it hits my lips uh, i was <laughs> i was in college and uh, i got kind of serious about sports i was football and track in college so, all right i gotta you know buckle down for football so i was drinking like Two two liters a day of coke, so uh-huh. I uh, I kind of uh, quit coke in college, and I, I kind of made myself hate it. Uh, was the way I did it, and uh, you know, then I I didn't drink any soda for years and years, and then some party I went to, they're like, here, Dr Pepper and whatever, and I was like, oh, Dr Pepper, this is this is, this is like coke but better. Oh man, <laughs> this party started.
0: Well, of course, in the South, we call everything coke. It's like, I, I'm going to get a Coke. What kind of Coke, Dr. Pepper? <laughs> it doesn't make much yeah, sense.
1: Yeah, the, but... uh, the uh, amount of sugar in those things. Uh, though, uh, though lately the kick has been uh, Celsius. I don't know if you've seen oh, okay. these guys. Okay, yeah. Uh, 200 milligrams of caffeine doesn't have any real sugar. It has sucralose, which I think is a whole nother battle that we're going to have to fight as a society. Um, I'd much rather see real sugar than sucralose. Um, oh, but, yeah. you know, too, but the caffeine and like other stuff they put in here, guarine and they'll, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it gets me going, man. I, I, uh, I kind of went off the Dr. Pepper caffeine, which is only like 40 or 50 milligrams of caffeine per can. And now I'm drinking this shit, which is 200 milligrams. <laughs> And so I don't know if I've made it any better on the caffeine side.
0: Yeah. So, so I, I drink usually about two cups of coffee. That, that is my one real addiction. If I don't have my coffee in the morning, I'll get a headache. Usually that's not good, but that's where I am now. Um, it definitely means
1: you're addicted. Your body. Means you're addicted. Your yeah, addicted. I know. It's,
0: I know, but um, this is okay. So I, I work out on, on Mondays and Wednesdays and I always, I have that like pre-workout drink yeah and I didn't realize how much of that was just caffeine, yeah <laughs> it's like it's like three cups of coffee worth of caffeine. I had no idea, so I'm like having coffee and then drinking that and then another coffee, so it's like five or six cups of coffee worth of caffeine, and that makes me feel normal, so that's not good but I all... a word, yeah. it does
1: it doesn't um give you energy. it just tells your body you know not to feel tired right yeah so it's kind yeah,
0: of, uh, it kind of turns off that signal
1: um for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I, I think that, you know, the, the way we interact with food is, you know, a, a big part of the, you know, way we interact with our environment. Right. So mm-hmm. the more responsible we can be with our calories and, you know, the, 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 you know, the better we can be for the planet and the better we can be for, for lots of stuff. So, so intermittent fasting is a good one, keeps you in shape, let your body know that everything's uh, not so fucking easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It makes it a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the the uh, Dr. Sinclair and the stuff he's doing at the Harvard lab for yeah, yeah, longevity yeah, very, and stuff? Yeah, I need of, to try to uh, get him on this podcast. I've, I've I've reached out, but it hasn't worked out yet. But, um, but yeah, I read his uh, lifespan book, and that was basically the conceit of it. It's like just make yourself uncomfortable: cold showers, don't eat, exercise yeah. a lot. <laughs> it's just like you'll live a long time, but you'll be uncomfortable the whole time.
1: It's uh, it's weird uh, today that we kind of um all live very comfortable lives and if you flash back
0: even mm-hmm. 150
1: years ago which is not a lot of generations ago there was no concept of comfort yeah you slept on the ground yeah <laughs> you know only like you know the the, the top point one percent you know super wealthy people living in the castle had any idea of you know what it is to like you know sit in a lounge chair my yeah sit you know like lumbar support yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was just that was just know, a
0: servant that you stuffed back there
1: Yeah. Like, like temperature control, like, you know, my, you know, just, just in this facility, you know, we live in San Diego, perfect weather all year round, but oh my gosh, it's 50 degrees, you know, oh, people can't function, you know, anymore, put on a sweater, (laughs) you know, like, like 50 degrees is not the end of the world, you know, oh God, it's 90 degrees outside. I'm dying of heat. That, That is, that is, you know. It's it's crazy to think that 150 years ago there was no concept of temperature control or comfort or like any of that. You were just trogging along trying to Mm -hmm. get your next salary so you didn't die. Hopefully you'd be able to procreate and see something live on (laughs) past you. But that was that was just the game. So you know it's Well
0: I uh, I did a video not too long ago about passive housing and passive building and and like I kind of started it by talking about the way, you know, I mean, people lived in The middle east and desert conditions and hot places long before we had air conditioning and they survived they found ways to get by with like evaporative cooling and water and stuff like that and it's kind of like now everything is just brute force throw as much electricity as possible at it to to cool yourself off and it's like there's other ways of doing it we just kind of forgot about all of it we just kind of said oh this we got this now let's let's put this new high energy technology in there and and, Civil yeah.
1: engineering is just a whole another segment that I just just find so fascinating. And, you know, in California especially, we have all these tilt-up buildings. Uh, it's more expensive to buy a window that opens than it is to buy a window that doesn't open. So in Southern California here, we have all these big buildings that, you know, just can't open up to get any fresh air in. So yeah. you're constantly, you know, running the climate control Um, and trying to figure out how to keep these buildings cool or hot uh, when for most of the time you just open up the damn window and it would be 72 degrees and everybody would be happy so you know it's uh it's frustrating a big problem for asia now is their energy crisis you know is mostly caused by air conditioning yeah you know kind of like the protein scenario as people get more wealth they want more protein as people get more wealth and move up the economic ladder they want air conditioning Mm -hmm. and air conditioning is you know it's like a third of the energy profile in a lot of these uh, Asian countries, and they they haven't been able to ramp up as fast as their people are buying air conditioners. Um, it's a, a very yeah. interesting problem that I think could be solved with a lot of old world technologies. But that's the the way our capitalist society works, which uh, is great in some respects and horrible in others. Yeah. Is that the people that sell the buildings don't give a shit about the long term cost of you know what's what's going on down the pipe, so they're not mm-hmm. going to pay two hundred extra dollars per window to have you know, a more flexible um, environment for people to control the temperature. They're gonna tilt up the walls and put in the cheapest windows and sell it as quick as they can so they can move on to the next deal, right? So. Yeah.
0: This episode is also brought to you by Kankerboy. So this might be a little personal, maybe a little uncomfortable to talk about, but some people, you might be one of them, get canker sores not to be confused with cold sores or fever blisters those things that cluster around your lips that's something else that's that's herpes simplex canker sores are on the inside of your mouth they're round they're red and they make eating an orange feel like you stabbed yourself in the head with a lightsaber they're super painful and they can swell up to the point that you can't even talk sometimes most of you probably don't get them regularly but for those who do i I think you know what i'm talking about so this is something i've suffered with my whole life it's a family thing but along the way i did stumble across a solution that actually helps, and that's called Canker Boy. It's a vitamin supplement that you take once a day and it helps keep down your body's overproduction of an inflammatory cytokine that's the root cause of these recurring canker sores. It's been on the market for about five years now. There's a ton of positive testimonials on Amazon. Everybody's different, so your results may vary, but most people do experience a reduction in the number and severity of their ulcers within two to six weeks. So if you're one of the poor souls who deal with recurring canker sores, it can't hurt to give it a try. Just go to cankerboy.com, that's C-A-N-K-E-R-B-O-Y.com. There you'll find a link to buy it on Amazon, but we also have it as a subscription. And if you sign up using the code CONVERSATIONS, you'll get 60% off your first two months' supply. There's also plenty more information there if you still have questions. So once again, it's cankerboy.com. Go check it out and live life pain-free. Now back to the show. Yeah, my, my grandparents used to have uh, uh, some really old houses in the, in the town that they lived in. And um, they were kind of those pass-through houses where, like, you just open certain windows and doors and the air would just flow through. Like, you could open from different angles. So whichever direction the wind is flowing, you could open that side of the house and it would just flow through. And... And it's right here in the middle of Texas, but it was comfortable. You know, they, I'm sure at certain times of the year it was not uncomfortable, or it was not comfortable. But you know, uh, I don't know. I just find that interesting that we have all this like all these design principles that we've sort of lost over time to newer we're, and better technologies that are just really more energy intensive.
1: We're uh, we're we're so smart that we're dumb in many ways.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so the next app Terra will be run by hamsters in a wheel and horses and stuff right
1: yeah um yeah. <laughs> you know. actually
0: so um so you're you're working on delta yeah uh you say you've already kind of got it designed out but you haven't built it yet was that what you were saying a second ago
1: uh so we're hoping to finish the design by the end of the year the uh, the gamma that we introduced that you saw at fully charged yeah. we consider kind of an 80% production contented vehicle uh, but we actually designed that like eight nine months ago. But then we had to build it yeah. to show fully charged. So since then, we've been working on the production design, which has largely been an effort of working with suppliers. So. Uh, suppliers what part can you provide us we would love the part to look like this and they come back and they're like well it doesn't look like that it looks like this and it has the brackets in different locations and then we had to figure out with a supplier okay do we pay for you to redesign that part to be more like what we want or do we just use it as is and figure out how to handle on our side so really the last you know kind of six nine months for us has been a supply chain effort of figuring out okay what are the production parts and how do they all come together and you you have to you have to have uh, system-wide discussions and, you know, there, mm. there's cost implications too. So you can't have the vehicle get too expensive and yeah. stuff like that. We, we hope to have all a pin in all that by the end of the year. We're very close now. We've, we've been doing kind of final design reviews on a lot of different systems. Um, and it's really cool to see, you know, such a massive kind of undertaking We, you know, uh, 100 engineers and and, and 70, 80 contractors out of the company, you know, all working hard to kind of push this design forward and and get everything done. Um, You know, it's uh, it's cool to see all the pieces as uh, as the A-team would say, you know, I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah, Um, that's that's kind of where we're at now, right? right? Cigar
0: when you say that. Uh, so are, are there any, I'm, I'm assuming all the the changes between gamma and delta are fairly fine-tuning little things here and there, like no, no big design changes that people will be like, wow.
1: Yeah, we'll some more kind of archi- architecture changes because we found this company uh, in Italy. Uh, that uh, does these kind of supercar carbon fiber uh, composites, but they do it in a very manufacturable way, and it's kind of just catching on to uh, to how cool this technology could be. Okay. But it's uh, it's very much so just stamping out parts. Um, you, know, you put a uh, you put a carbon fiber and thermoset resin goo into a waffle iron, and you stamp the waffle iron down, and ten minutes later you have a, a big up terra part. Um, it's kind nice. of the cheap long term way that we think we can build these parts um, and it helps us scale. You, know, you can build hundreds of thousands of parts out of each of these molds uh, and it happens really, really quickly. So because of that method, you can do things with with their process that you couldn't do with like the green vehicle you see behind me. You can put r- structural ribs on the back. You can put fasteners in the part. You can you can do a lot of cool things that we couldn't do with this composite. So so some of the uh, design effort has been kind of changing how we think about the parts and how we affix things to the parts. Um, so we kind of had to rearchitect some of the parts. Um, cosmetically, though, it, it looked very similar. Uh, all those are kind of you know the underpinnings uh, of the vehicle. Mm. Um, so I think cosmetically, you know, uh, same profile, same length, same width, same aerodynamic um, shape. Um, the, uh, the 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 interior looks uh you know very very much so the same Mm -hmm. um it's just uh it's just some of those kind of how we think about the composite parts and then suppliers coming back to us and saying yeah we don't make a bracket like that you're gonna have to use our bracket or you are gonna have to pay us 100 grand we're like yeah we don't want to pay 100 grand so we'll just figure out how to use your bracket
0: (laughs) makes sense so uh you're looking at end of next year or so before you start delivering
1: uh, unfortunately, everything's funding dependent, so um, okay. if we have any uh, people of means that want to invest in Aptera. It's, oh, here uh, we go.
0: Here's Here's the pitch. <laughs>
1: It's Um, but you know, once we're funded for production, you know, it's kind of nine months to get the uh, manufacturing train rolling, so we got to mm-hmm. get the equipment in, we got to commission the equipment, we got to run, you know, kind of test cycles uh, to build everything, so that's kind of a nine-month window, so if, 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 uh, if, if we get major funding by the end of the year, then then nine months later, we're, we're cranking out, cranking out Apterras.
0: It's probably going to be one of those uh, uh, slowly and then suddenly kind of things.
1: Yeah, you know, um, Sandy Monroe and uh, Pablo are are, are brilliant uh, VP of manufacturing. Um, you know, they're they're of the accord that you, like a lot of other companies, have made the mistake of starting slowly and then trying to ramp up. You know, let's build one vehicle a day and then two vehicles a day and then five yeah. vehicles. a day. The problem is when you hire people to build one vehicle a day and then you tell people, hey, we're going to increase production to four vehicles a day, their head explodes. I can't build four vehicles a day. The pain in the ass is just building one vehicle a day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're buying the equipment, we're scaling up for manufacturer, like with these partners uh, in Italy, CPC, uh, to build 40 vehicles a day. So, um, it's not kind of a, a trickle and then, a, then, you know, um, more of a trickle and scale and scale. It's we're going to start manufacture, and within three months, we're going to be building 40 vehicles a day. And then once we get used to that, we're going to put in a second shift so we can build 80 vehicles a day. Gotcha. Uh, so hopefully that'll happen, you know, less than a year later from when we start production. That's cool. uh, but that's the goal is get into production, buy all the equipment for that, hire all the people, train them to build 40 vehicles a day, and then just start building 40 vehicles a day.
0: Just try to get the scale right from, from day one. Yeah.
1: yeah. Get, yeah. The, get the supply chain lined up. You know, you need you need 40 front suspension modules coming in a day. You need 40 bodies coming in a day. You need the solar factory to make 20, 40 solar panels a day, and the battery pack line has to be mm. producing 40 battery packs a day, and that's what keeps you ticking along.
0: God, that's a lot of juggling. <laughs> Can't even imagine. Well, in all your off time, what else you got going on in your life? Are you, you, you like got any TV shows you're watching? Any any books you're reading, or anything um, non car related that you can put any brain cells to?
1: My uh, my. Um... I wish that I had more time for the House of Dragon and other shows uh, that are out there, but I don't. I'm I am engulfed in uh, yeah. APTERA fun. Uh, I peel myself off every once in a while to uh, to delve into the world of um, supercomputing and how it's you know enhancing our lives. And you know I I got into computational fluid dynamics. You know we we built one of the world's largest supercomputing clusters here at APTERA to do that kind of work. So I'm really interested in you know how uh, computers do that kind of work. Um, The uh, the you know, from 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 simulating the universe and how we think stars form and stuff like that, um, you know, to uh, to particle physics. Uh, I think it's just amazing that we have the computational tools to analyze stuff like that. And it's giving us answers that we could never conceive of, you know, in our puny little human (laughs) brains. Um, you know, and I think it'll tell us, you know, a lot about, you know, how the universe works and how some of these particle physics things works, you know, before we have kind of the ability to test for them because you see, you know, like the, you know, testing at CERN and other places, those are multi-decade projects. And yeah. you know, my, my, uh, my eagerness to understand the universe as it is, isn't patient enough to wait for that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, usually when I, I geek out online, I, I, uh, I, I search for those. You know, kind of how uh, supercomputing is making the world, the universe, a better place type stuff. Yeah, that's cool. It's worth uh, worth uh, 10, 20 minutes a night.
0: Yeah, um, sometimes I I look at the what's going on with the quantum computing and stuff. It it feels like when when they started talking about quantum computing at first, it was like oh my god, it's gonna they're gonna have all the answers to everything and it's gonna create God or something, you know? And and then it was kind of like actually, it's just really good at very specific use cases. And it's not like an everything kind of computer, um, but it's still kind of neat that that's something very depressing.
1: basic calculator that can do infinite calculations in an instant. Yeah, yeah that kind of thing. <laughs> wow, well, uh, Yeah, it's um, it's 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 interesting how our kind of understanding of matter and particle physics has changed over the last decade. You know, and that uh, that some things you know. Uh, exist and don't exist all at the same time and somehow they're intertwined intertwined but we don't know why uh but it's predictable and as long as it's predictable we can use it uh so you know i think it's uh you know it's a lot like probably the the early days of understanding electricity um they didn't understand why they didn't understand that you know electricity was really a field you know pushing electrons and and that's why these things happen they just understood that they could they could have electricity do something you could shock shit you could turn on light <laughs> they had no understanding why and i, yeah. I imagine that's a, a lot like what's going to happen in, in quantum computing is we we don't have an understanding of the why yet mm-hmm. uh, but over time we will and it will greatly assist in our ma- uh, our mastery of, of that kind of stuff right yeah
0: yeah you you get into the the quantum stuff it's you get existential real quick actually i'm, I'm working on one about the nobel prize from this last year um that proves that reality is not locally real.
1: <laughs> and I um, had to look
0: up what that meant. It, it's not as crazy as it sounds, but it's basically saying that Einstein was wrong about some things. Which
1: So I if the universe is of. expanding faster than the speed of light and the things at the edge of our universe are traveling at the speed of light, but time doesn't exist at the speed of light, and our universe will continue to expand, Eventually, we will be traveling at the speed of light, even though we may not know that. And our team may just stop. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. We don't know Reading when that moment.
0: Is. out the <laughs> ears. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. But yeah, it's uh, you know, I think the the things that are happening beyond our perception are 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 terribly interesting, and mm. we may never know in our lifetimes. But some of these uh, supercomputing uh, tools may may give us a little look into things that could be beyond. So yeah, very cool very cool time to be alive
0: very what is a uh, it, it, it's a what's the word i'm looking for a damnation or something it's like you may you live in interesting times yeah <laughs> i forget the right way it's said but yeah it's a good thing and it's a bad thing and it's 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 definitely interesting if nothing else but that's what i get yeah. to cover on my channel <laughs> yeah well,
1: you're, you're doing the Lord's work. I mean, um, you know, breaking down uh, complex uh, science and, and topics and making it interesting for people is, uh, is, is an amazing thing. And it's, uh, you know, I think through education, a lot of people will live uh, better lives. And, and mm-hmm. you're, you're doing that work.
0: Well, thank you. I, I like to think that if I can get myself to understand it, then if I can get a dummy like me to understand it, that I can get other people to maybe understand it. So <laughs> the, the, the trick is, can I understand it?
1: it's a, it's a complex world. I mean, I, I saw a study now, you know, that, uh, that basically every decade our IQ is jumping 20 points or so. Um, I was reading
0: something about that. Yeah. You
1: know, that if you, if you looked at people, you know, four generations ago, you'd be like, wow, they're functionally, <laughs> they're yeah. barely function, but now the world is so complex and it's so challenging that even from a young age, you know, people are growing up and, you know, mm-hmm. it's solving complex problems is what we're good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're just getting better and better. So you, you feeding knowledge to people and kind of helping them break down, you know, the problems of the world, your, your, your work will inspire somebody to make the world a better place, including me. So I like to think so.
0: Yeah. My, 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 uh, my dick jokes every once in a while, just kind of helps the medicine go down, I guess. But, uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> a good what, dick. joke. It it was yeah. Inspiring. That
0: was inspiring. from Mary Poppins, right? She said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Julie Food Andrews.
1: Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well dude i appreciate this time um i i was um, we didn't like i said we didn't really get a chance to talk at at fully charged because uh you were like the bell of the ball so uh it w- it's cool to get to do this
1: well, I appreciate you having me, uh, yeah. you know, we appreciate the love for, uh, for Aptera and what we're doing. If you have any questions, let me know. I'd love to, uh, to talk again sometime as, as we progress, or you just have different topics. You want to talk about crickets more? I'm down. Let's go. Hey, Let's
0: talk crickets. Uh, I, I would love to, next time I'm in San Diego, I'd love to take a drive in one.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Anytime.
0: I didn't get to do it the last time, but uh, maybe
1: <laughs> yeah, we weren't letting anybody drive Gamma and it actually just left to, uh, to Italy. So um, it's not going to be back for a while. It's a probably. long drive. Anyway, it's a long drive, but thousand mile range. You
0: know. See, this is something you don't even say in your in your literature that it drives across water. You can
1: just <laughs> it looks like a boat. You heard it, it here like first. It like a boat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks, Chris. This is fun, and uh, I'll I'll be in touch. Thanks, man. Good luck with everything. All right. Thanks again to Chris for hanging out with me. That was a lot of fun. And if you want to know more about this crazy future car he's building, you can go check out their website, aptera.us. That's A-P-T-E-R-A dot U-S. And if you're really interested, maybe reserve a car. Grab a spot in line. It'll probably be a while because they're still working on it. But uh, yeah, go for it. Now, before you go, since I'm apparently selling my wares today, um, you know, you always see me in nerdy, fun t-shirts on the show. Well, you might not know that I actually do sell those shirts online at answerswithjoe.com slash store. Uh, There's branded shirts with my logo on them, also posters, mugs, stickers, plus a lot of different fun and nerdy designs that have absolutely nothing to do with my logo. But, uh, you know, it might make a good gift for someone, you know, somebody that's sciencey, nerdy. It's that time of year. Just saying. Plus, it does support the channel. So please go check it out. Answerswithjoe.com store. Have fun. Let me know what you think. This episode was produced by Kimmy Britt, edited by Bray Brown. I'm Joe Scott. You can find me at Answers with Joe pretty much everywhere on the socials. Of course, my YouTube channel is Answers with Joe. Uh, anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Please do share this if you thought it was interesting. And a nice review on whatever podcast player you're using right now it really does go a long way. And it's very much appreciated. But until next time, thanks. Have a good one. Now go out there and start some conversations of your own. Take care.